Last year's seminal events of COVID and the social equity movements have greatly accelerated consumers' interest in wellness, diversity, and the environment. And we're seeing this play out in the types of products they're seeking from retailers and brands. Clean ingredients, transparency, sustainability, and social responsibility are all top of mind among shoppers these days. In this episode, I speak with Kate Labros, founder and CEO of Kate Labros Consulting, about several key natural products trends that are reshaping the CPG industry. These are the trends that are showing explosive growth across categories and channels and are important considerations, not just for brands, but for retailers who want to prioritize more natural offerings. Kate has a long history in the natural products industry. She's worked as a wellness category manager for a national retailer, as a national sales manager for a probiotic brand, and most recently as the conventional nutrition and body care sales director for a natural products broker. She and her team have over 100 years of combined experience in the natural products segment, and they're all passionate about supporting founders who want to grow their natural brand and conventional retailers who want to capture more share of their crossover shopper baskets. ECRM connects buyers and sellers of fast-moving consumer goods in category-specific, highly curated face-to-face meetings. For more information, visit ecrm.marketgate.com. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Joe Tarnowski with ECRM, and I have with me today Kate Labrosse, who is the founder of Kate Labros Consulting. Now, she's an expert in the natural products industry, and she works with a lot of emerging and established brands on helping them to succeed in retail. She's also going to be moderating a couple of roundtables at some of our upcoming center store-related uh, sessions. So, uh, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. And just to let everybody know, Kate's going to be – she has some custom research that uh, she's going to be sharing with us, and we're going to do it fireside chat style. She's going to pull up her slides and uh, go through the the data, and I may jump in from here uh, time to time just uh, to add commentary or ask a question. So, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. And before we get started, could you just give everybody a little background on some of the things that you do with your clients? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Joe, and thanks for having me. Um, so we, my team and I have over a uh, hundred years experience in the industry, really working specifically with natural brands, but across all channels. So the, some of the things that we do is we have a specific program for emerging brands called brand builders that really helps brands kind of, kind of leapfrog, you know, the, the common mistakes and the challenges that most emerging brands uh, make and kind of helps hack the industry for them from retailers to distributors to brokers and how to really, how to really work the system. Because, because unfortunately, you know, the way things are set up, the system is not necessarily designed to support these emerging brands and they need a lot of support to really get to where they want to go. So that's one thing that we do. And then we work with more established brands on everything from team development to creating new products and understanding category trends, um, how to really message and speak to buyers, really kind of elevating them to the next level. My team is kind of unicorns at creating new ways of doing things 
new resources and helping brands really pivot and go to that next level. We love working with brands that don't just want a little incremental growth um, or a little bit of change, but are really like, okay, how do we go? How do we go above that and, and make a legacy brand here? Well, great. That's, that's extremely popular stuff for our brand audience who uh, tend to yeah. be uh, in that space. Yeah. Great. So great. So so let's jump into the presentation. Um, I'm going to let you pull it up and then uh, we'll get going. So as Joe said, we're going to talk today about uh, a lot of the trends that are driving the industry and what it takes to really create that legacy brand. Um, and this is a space that my team and I know really well. As I already said, we've got over 100 years experience in the space. We're deeply passionate and, and combined. We've really worked on every side of the business, including uh, the retailer side as national buyers, on the broker side, um, and on the manufacturer or brand side. And we're, we're wildly passionate about the natural industry. We believe that this is the future of, of grocery retail in general. Um, and so we want to talk a little bit about what are some of the uh, what are some of the mature trends that are really here to stay um, and that continue to drive growth year after year. We know that there's a lot of trends that come and go that come, become more of a fad, you know, specific ingredients. Um, like kind of fall into this very specific product categories fall into this, but these here that you're looking at are some that are not going away. Um, so as, as a couple data points here, non-GMO, looking at SPINS data, um, looking at organic, uh, sorry, non-GMO is up 10% in recent 52-week data. Organic is up 11%. Uh, B Corp certified brands are up also 11%. Fair trade certified products are up 10 And animal welfare is up 19%. I think another really important piece to look at here is the allergen-free space. So 85 million Americans avoid foods with the top eight allergens. And this category is driving growth at about 20%. Um, and the other piece that I'll say is that mission driven is here to stay, no matter what your mission is, whether it is social, environmental, political, health, whatever it might be, when you have a mission at the foundation of your brand and really infuse that into who you are, how you speak to your consumers, your product positioning, all the way through the life cycle of your brand, you really can connect with the consumers in a much more impactful way. Um, you know, uh, yeah. one thing that's interesting is seeing all of these certifications up there. Uh, right now, at this moment, Range Me is doing a uh, webcast on the power of certifications in engaging buyers for brands. So yeah. the certifications are so important, are such an important part of it, and how to, as really as a guide for the consumer to easily kind of go where they want to go uh, in their health journey. For sure. I think that's a great point, Joe, and I love that you guys are talking about this as an organization and really the importance of it. And while a brand can put their own little kind of certifying logos on their packaging, it's much more impactful when it's when it's a third party certifier that is known to the consumer and for sure known to the retailers, right? The gatekeepers who are going to say yes or no to your products getting on shelf. Those certifications matter. Definitely. And, and uh, obviously, most of them, or if not all, most of them are health related. Obviously, some are about, you know, mission whether it's a diverse zone, things like that. But, and I've seen, and I wanted to, to throw this by you, but COVID aside, I mean, obviously COVID has driven everybody to really, really focus on health and longevity, but it was already happening before COVID. 
A hundred percent. And we're actually going to look at that a little bit later in the presentation, Joe, but it's such a great point. So yeah, we're seeing consumers really look for that, that it's no longer just about whether or not a product is natural and kind of meets these kind of certifications that we're looking at, but does it really have a health benefit and what is it? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, so then we kind of start to break down some power trends that are really driving a lot of growth in the industry right now. And, and the first one is plant-based foods. So we have seen steady growth in this category since 2017 and sales are not showing any signs of soft softening over the next at least five years. Um, and when we look at who's the consumer here, who's really shopping for these products, what we know is that we've come a long way since aseptic milks came out and it was just soy milk on the market, right? There's a lot of innovation in this category. And so today's consumer is really flexing their dietary choices from one day to the next. They're not all like vegan or vegetarian only eaters, right? They're looking, they might have you know, their, their, their vegetarian Tuesday or vegetarian Wednesday, right? They're going to do that and then eat meat other days of the week. Um, and, and, uh, and, and what's really driving folks into this category um, is definitely the health benefits that you already mentioned, Joe. That's what's bringing a lot of folks into this space. And consumers really see plant-based foods as not only like lower fat alternatives to meat and dairy, but also an opportunity to add fiber or additional nutrition benefits to their diet. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the other reason that consumers are coming in to this space of the environment. It's top of mind for shoppers. I think COVID and what's going on in our world today has only heightened that. Mm -hmm. um, so even when you know we're faced with the immediate threats of a pandemic and the climate crisis and what's top of mind for us right now, there's consumers that are looking for ways that they can positively impact the world. And they're doing that through their food choices and through buying plant-based stuff. Um, the other couple things is food safety, you know, this we've definitely seen also, I think, really because of the pandemic, you know, which we've seen, you know, some, some, some food scares in the meat sector. So people are looking for uh, the, the food safety piece of it. Um, and then the other thing to really note here is that the, the other piece that's driving innovation, uh, or that's driving growth is innovation. And these brands that are creating products in this space, it's no longer just um, kind of like the poor man's version of a meat alternative or a dairy alternative. There's some really good tasting products that are very analogous to their, to their uh, counterparts in the meat or dairy space. So we're seeing a lot of great innovation here. Oh, yeah, they've come. They've definitely come a long way. I think it was last year or possibly well pre-COVID. I tried one of those, um, we have uh, um, the Beyond Meat Burger. It was either a yeah. Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger yeah. at one of the restaurants in my neighborhood. And it was just, it was scary how close it was in texture and mouthfeel to actual meat. I mean, I couldn't believe, I was amazed. Yep. For sure. And, and I think that, you know, the, the one challenge for brands here to think about as they're innovating in this space or wanting to launch into this space um, is to really reduce the processing. Like that tends to be one of the, the detriments or the, like the downsides of this category is there's a lot of ingredients. Some of them can, can look a little bit scary. Some of them can be GMO ingredients mm -hmm. and a lot of processing that needs to happen in order to get it to that state that it looks and feels like it's real alternative. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where we're also seeing a lot of innovation is actually around the processing of these products, how they're created and minimizing that. 
that's a good point because a lot of people when they're first starting um, on their health journey, they'll focus on cutting out processed foods. That's right. So then it's like, okay, well, if they're doing that, well, then it leaves that out. And then, of course, you'll have all the meat guys will be trashing the plant companies <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. So it's, it's sometimes it's hard to cut through all that. But it is good that they are trying to cut out some of the processing because that will impact consumers' decisions. Totally. Absolutely. Okay, so another power trend that's really driving growth is an ethical and sustainable supply chain. So transparency around a brand supply chain allows consumers to really validate the ethical behaviors that are important to them. Um, commitment to more ethical and sustainable sourcing can be, can be managed through vertical integration or direct trade or the utilization of ingredients that are verified or certified by a third party like fair trade, RSPO, USDA organic, right? So th these brands can purchase ingredients that are already have that certification as an ingredient. Um, and they're doing that. Um, companies like General Mills, you know, they can take an educational role and they have um, with farmers aspiring to meet regenerative farming goals, or they can tackle specific issues um, like Rebel's efforts to abolish human trafficking in Peru or Alafia's mission to reduce infant mortality rates in Togo. Sorry, I got a pupper here. <laughs> She's got her favorite squeak. That's okay um, to have sound effects. Oh, <laughs> uh, so brands are really using their, you know, their 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 sourcing of their ingredients for these ethical missions in these mm -hmm. places that they're sourcing ingredients from. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that, uh, both on the sustainability side. In fact, we launched an, a sustainable and eco-friendly packaging session, uh, which is going to be in March just to address this fact. And uh, recently, we, uh, I posted an interview that uh, our uh, head of retail did with um, the product sustainability manager from Ajo Delhaize USA. And it was all about the, their practices and their goals for tw 2025, I think it is. But uh, it's such a big part of a buyer's decision these days but then also the ethical and then if you i guess if you would include in that uh supplier diversity which has been humongous this year alone we've worked with uh half a dozen retailers if not more on supplier diversity initiatives in fact we worked with uh, both meyer and schnooks to launch their first supplier diversity uh sourcing programs and we worked with ECRM and Range Me together, put those, uh, uh, worked with them to, to, to launch it. And it's just more and more uh, retailers are really looking to get into uh, helping out uh, diverse owned suppliers to, to get on the shelf. For sure, Joe. And we're going to talk about that a little bit too, but it is such an important piece. I think both women and BIPOC owned brands are mm -hmm. seeing, you know, a, a lot of support coming from the industry and, and retailers and organizations like yourselves, you know, starting to put more emphasis on, on supporting them and, and, and providing greater access. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the one other point that I would make here around, around the sustainable supply chain is kind of a data point. So despite the fact that sustainably marketed products make up only about 16% share of the CPG market, they're actually delivering over 50% of the market growth here. Hmm. So a ton of opportunity for retailers, especially to start to prioritize products like that, knowing that so much growth is coming from these products. 
Okay, so we can't talk about you know power trends without talking about responsible packaging. This is uh, this is something that we're seeing really really cross um, cross channels. This is not a natural only initiative or a natural only growth trend. We're seeing this across all channels. Um, it's emerged as a power trend, uh, showing consumer interest on par with sustainable ingredients. And innovation can show up here as modification of traditional packaging like Primal Kitchen. So they replace that typical plastic microwavable bowl that you see in these frozen meals um, with a container that is a bio bowl made from sugarcane fiber. Mm -hmm. So fully breaks down, not a plastic product. Or Alter Eco, they launched the first compostable candy wrapper and stand up pouch. It's amazing. Um, so Good So You is a local company for me here in Minneapolis. They're taking on single-use plastic with their shots um, using uh, what, what's called Better Bottle. And it's a, it's a bottle that actually recycles the same as plastic, but it has an accelerated biodegradation if it actually ends up in a landfill. So it's not going to sit there for 100 years. It's going gonna, it's gonna to degrade much quicker than that. You know, these, these guys have come a long way in their packaging design and, you know, long, long gone are the days of that just like brown paper wrapper around the product. Yeah. These things look like any other, you know, they're, they're on par with the major brands that are out there. Totally, totally. And I think that, you know, the brands are also innovating around form. So mm -hmm. Byte is a, is, a, is a company that we have featured here. They really eliminated the use of the tube or the toothpaste tube altogether and thought, well, why does it have to be done that way? Just because it's been, you know, in a tube forever for all time, can't this be done differently? Mm -hmm. Or Highbar, which is actually a client of ours, like they're looking at, at premium salon quality hair care and saying, well, well, do you know how much water is, is included in these beauty and body care products? They're over 90% water, most mm -hmm. of them. Why do we need to do that? So they eliminated the bottle completely and now they have a premium hair care in a, in a bar format. In fact, one of our Buyer's Choice Award winners from our beauty program last week was a company that did pellets. It was a reusable, um, it was for a hand soap, but it was pellets that you put in the bottle, mixed with water, and then you have soap. So this way you, you eliminate in the packaging, the yep. water, the transport, you know, it costs money to transport water in that's in these products uh, and fuel and all that. So it's seeing a lot of innovation in that space. Totally. And as I said, like, this is not just a natural trend. We're seeing big CPG companies really get into this game. So Procter & Gamble, they launched uh, secret and Old Spice deodorants in cardboard tubes. Mm -hmm. Like, so we're, we're seeing this cross channels and cross brands, which is exciting. Okay, so now going back to your, your BIPOC and, and um, supplier diversity piece here. I think that, you know, while, while many of us would love to put 2020 to rest, there's some critical and hopefully lasting learnings that emerged from the civil unrest experience that happened in our country and continues to happen, but particularly over, you know, this last year, it has been very visible and there've been a lot of events. And so there's, there's an opportunity here for not just the natural industry, but really for, for CPG retail industry in general to, to step up here and to not be immune to the effects and limitations limitations that are perpetuated by systemic racism. And, and what we need is we need entrepreneurs of color need relatable mentorship um, and access to capital. So 84% of our industry's uh, company leaders are white. 
And just prior to the recent initiatives to fund BIPOC businesses, Black entrepreneurs were being granted less than 1% of all available venture capital. So there's a huge disparity there around access um, and having the right mentors in place and, and, and people that, uh, that really can step up as a mentor here and move this forward in a really meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some emerging trends to watch. And this goes back, Joe, to what you were talking about really around the health aspect. So thinking about addressing modern day con- conditions, health is a hot topic no matter what channel we're buying in. And and COVID and the effects of this last year have only uh, increased that trend exponentially. So people are seeking out products that nourish the body and the mind and products that support total well-being. Dealing with with the chaos of our modern lives and addressing modern ailments that are a result of how we're living, people are looking for products that really address that. And they're waking up, they're turning on and demanding more from their own lives and looking for products to help them achieve that. And what we're seeing here is is kind of a a uh, reintegration or tapping into um, science and ancient wisdom, like like the, the CBD trend and the endocannabinoid system, right? This is an ancient system in our body that we're now just really starting to understand. Um, or like Ayurveda and healing herbs and fermentation, all these ancient wisdoms that are now popping up and showing in, in products in a big way. Um, I would say also too that that consumers are demanding that products that that the health also meets the convenience, right? We we still are a society that doesn't want to be overly inconvenienced, so we need these delivered in a way that's familiar, that's easy to use, that's easy to integrate. That's really what people are looking for. And I think one challenge is going to be because I think consumers in general are just so much more educated in health. They know how bad inflammation yeah. is. They know what, how much a big role your gut health plays, mm-hmm. your microbiome plays in relation to your mind and your body, uh, sleep and all that. Now there's so much information. I think, like you mentioned, it's key for brands to be able to really cut through and with their messaging and get right to the point for the use cases of each of their products. 100% agree with you. Yeah, that messaging is so important for sure. Um, okay, so then a few more. So upcycled products. I, I'm calling this, I think this is going to be the next big trend in the natural products industry. Um, the Upcycled Food Association just launched their certification. So speaking of certifications, mm-hmm. this is going to be another one that we're going to start to see. In our country, up to 40% of all of our food is wasted. Like that's just bananas to me. Um, and, and 60% of folks are wanting to buy more up cycled products. Um, And that's because 95% of us want to do our part to reduce food waste. Um, So I'm excited to see that there's that there's an industry wide effort being put here and that the upcycled food association has really stepped in it's made up of folks that have either, you know, brands products in this space technology in this space and there's some big ones like Dole has jumped in, and they are a part of the upcycled food association. And there's a couple other really great companies, um, two of them local here to us net zero has amazing technology for, uh, for upcycling products, everything from eggshell membrane and turning that into a collagen product to working with local breweries and distilleries and upcycling their, their spent grain and then reusing that in products. 
So we've got some good technology. And again, I think with the launch of this certification, we're going to see this as a big trend this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's funny. I wonder how much of the food waste in New York City is upcycled <laughs> through rats. <laughs> because there's, uh, you know, with all the restaurants being closed in Manhattan, right. they have nowhere. They're usually eating their garbage. And now they're going yeah. to the sh in the street. I'm sure you've seen videos of, yeah. of in, in Central Park and things like that. But yeah. uh, I think this is great. Uh, just another way of kind of helping to uh, make use of the, the uh, waste. Totally, totally. Um, okay, and then uh, two more here on this kind of power trend piece. So transparency, this definitely ties into, you know, some of the other things we've already talked about and, and the labeling and the certifications, but, but consumers now are really starting to expect food labels to provide greater transparency around the entire culture of the company, around mm -hmm. the entire product life cycle, um, and not just, you know, the specific benefits of that one product. Um, and brands that are really that are really considering the health and well-being of partners and employees by looking at avenues of social empowerment, consumers want to see that show up in their branding, in their messaging, that these companies are thinking about that. They want to see employee care and fair, fair wages and social sourcing in terms of direct and fair trade sourcing efforts. Like these are some of the things that consumers are looking for. And what we're seeing in the in the certification space. Like these ones that you're looking at here, they are their certifications. Most of them, what we're seeing a, a shift to is not just a, a one issue certification, but that is really more about this transparency of a whole company. That goes back to, you know, the data point I made earlier about the rise of B Corps and, and how much they're growing in the space. Um, Jedi Collaborative and Climate Collaboratives are two newer um, organizations in the industry. Jedi is, is really addressing that BIPOC and minority piece, diversity, supplier diversity, equity, climate collaborative is just is really what that sounds like. So these organizations that are looking for triple bottom line, um, uh, transparency and benefits, that's what consumers are starting to drive towards. What a, what a great acronym, Jedi Collaborative. You know that one's going to turn some heads of star wars fans totally that's going to get some attention for sure yeah yeah good on them it's great marketing huh yeah uh okay and then one last one is regan uh, regenerative organic uh mm -hmm. certified so so i'm sure you're seeing this as well yeah. um and and what's interesting here and i think you know where the opportunity for some of these initiatives to move outside of just the hardcore natural channel and move into the broader consumer space um, is when they touch into different media outlets and speaking to people where they're really at and telling the human story. So in 2018, um, a new holistic high bar standard was set for agricultural certification. And that is this, this ROC certification. It's overseen by the Regenerative Organic Alliance. It's a nonprofit that's made up of experts in farming in ranching, soil health, animal welfare, and farmer and worker fairness. So again, that goes to that sort of triple bottom line, bringing mm -hmm. all those pieces together. Um, and we've seen, uh, We've seen in 2018, The Biggest Little Farm came out, like this was a hit documentary. Um, and if you guys have not seen that, like go watch it, it'll just kind of pull at your heartstrings a little bit and show you how you can take this soil that was essentially dead, 
Like the soil that they started on was essentially dead. And now they have this, this flourishing farm and this whole ecosystem now created around it. And then Kiss the Ground came out uh, this last year and they're doing a lot of initiatives, not just around the movie, but now uh, educational efforts and community efforts around regenerative agriculture. Well, I love this topic. And I think I read a book recently, I think it's called Food Fix uh, mm -hmm. from Michael Hyman, if I'm getting that correct. Uh, and he touches on that a lot. And just the fact that you end up leaving the farm healthier than when you started with it is amazing. And I think there was, uh, I was listening to one podcast, I think it was an interview with this, this author, where they were talking about there was one farm where they had samples of when it was uh, older and, and what it is now. And it was so rich and dark, the soil and it had, I believe, five times as much more carbon in it than it did. So you're pulling, not only are they making the soil and the farm better, but you're pulling carbon from the atmosphere uh -huh. and fixing it into the soil. So you're making, you know, everything better. So I just think it's such a great uh, concept and initiative, and it could really, really do a lot, especially we don't have as much farmland available to do that with. So you need to make the most of what you got. Uh, yeah, I love that. Great point, Joe. Okay, so we can't really talk about trends without talking about COVID and the impact that it has had in our industry. Um, I don't think that, you know, anyone is surprised about many of the categories that have seen the most growth during the pandemic. Um, you know, preventative supplies like hand sanitizer and cleaning products and immunity supplements. Obviously, all of these have seen a big spike because of it. Um, and then products that suit our home focused lifestyle like baking, uh, breakfast and dinner staples um, and products that indicate our efforts to curb the overindulgences that are characterized, uh, that characterize the early pandemic stage. Um, and, and that kind of feeds into what we talked about with plant-based eating. Um, and then the rise of non-alcoholic beverages and cocktails have also seen uh, a pretty big spike, especially over the last half of the year. Mm -hmm. um, within these sales wins is the unexpected story of how sales have been redistributed among brands. So many category giants have experienced long-term out of stock um, because of supply issues and kind of the rush to, to stockpile products. And so it's opened the door for some smaller brands to really grab some share. I think, you know, we don't know yet if that's going to continue to play out. And these brands that ended up, you know, kind of getting a windfall from this, if there will be sustained repeat purchases from them, but they definitely had more exposure to consumers than they might have before. Um, I've definitely seen that a lot uh, over by me. I mean, it's it was an opportunity for brands to get forced trial. Yes. And the the challenge is it could go two ways. Mm -hmm. If you're there and you take advantage of it, you got a, a product that just kicks butt, and you know you're the alternative. Well, then you got a chance to to maintain that spot, mm -hmm. uh, and then the the established brands have to fight to get you back. However. Yep. There was one situation where my local drug chain, they were out of stock in the paper section, not surprisingly, but not too, maybe two or three months ago. And they had all these new brands on the shelf. So I grabbed a, a paper towel brand that I've never heard of before. And it was horrible. <laughs> it, it pushed 
the spills around instead of absorbing them and yeah. ripped unevenly. And, and that's like the opposite case of what you, you don't want to happen where now you have to take this brand. It's horrible. That brand's never going to get a, a repeat purchase ever. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an opportunity, but you gotta, you gotta play, you know, you gotta you make sure you have all your ducks in a row and you capitalize on that moment. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a great point. You know, the, the other thing too, is that convenience foods that were previously kind of essential to our fast paced, like go, go, go lifestyles, mm -hmm. they've taken a hit in sales, you know? So we've seen that with, with like nutrition or protein bars, right? Like they've taken a bit of a dive over this last year because people are at home. They are cooking more. We're not out traveling and, and on, you know, four flights every week, right? Like we're, we're home more. Um, and the, the one other thing too, that I want to point out is that there's a lot of folks that are sort of asking uh, around what's, what's happening with CBD sales. And this is, this is a category that people like expected, you know, there were huge predictions mm -hmm. about what this category was going to be. And then it kind of hasn't performed. And now what effect has COVID had on it? Um, overall, CBD sales are actually reported to be up approximately 30%, though, over the last 52 weeks. Um, however, however, sales across the channel that actually report to spins like mass market, natural, mm -hmm. organic, and specialty are down 13.2%. So we're seeing, you know, huge in other channels and in e-com and direct to consumer sales. So the category as a whole is still up. We've just seen, you know, some softening in the retail space. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're seeing that because there's just been significant leakage to alternative channels like C stores and gas stations, boutiques and smoke shops, dispensaries. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, I just, uh, did an interview uh, about CBD in the convenience store channel. And uh, it was a distributor called Betterment RS. And they work, so they work with a lot of CBD brands. They attend our sessions as a buyer. They work with these brands, but then they also, uh, they do DSD for like Yesway and QuickJack. And yep. it's booming. But they have a different philosophy um, than mass retail because mass retail is really sticking with the uh, topicals and everything. Yeah. What they're doing is they're working with what Betterment, ref uh, the, the president of Betterment refers to as Gen 2 CBD brands, which are those CBD products that are very similar to those products we get every day beverages, chocolate bars, shots, yep. and, and they can be sold at a lower price. And the whole goal is driving trial. Because if you have, if I'm a really veteran CBD consumer, I know the tinctures and all of that stuff, likely I'm going to go to a CBD shop or, you know, a specialty store where I can sit, have that Apple kind of store experience and yep. consult with them. But in a convenience store, you're in and out. So you're going after these customers that have a little knowledge of it and are maybe doing it for the first time. So they merchandise everything, mixed assortments, different brands. They'll have beverages. They'll have uh, the shots, the chocolates, good signage. So you don't have to depend on a consultation. They get everything right there. And then it eases them into the category. But the mass retailers are not doing that. They're not doing that. And I realize, you know, kind of all the reasons they're doing that. And there, there's a lot of retailers that are waiting for federal legislation to come yeah. through still. And we don't have that. And so they're kind of being gun shy about this. But there is still a ton of opportunity in this space. And I think that, you know, what this conversation that you had around the C-Store piece, Joe, like 
they're like this, if retailers kind of start to think about this in a new way and what comes next in this space, mm -hmm. there's a ton of opportunity still yeah. here in innovation, in looking at not just CBD, but CBG, CBN, and what other kind of, you know, formulations we can come up with. And you're right, food and beverage is actually up 54%, mm -hmm. even in spins, right? So there's a ton of opportunity outside of the tincture bottle. Yeah, it's so much easier to just convert that, uh, that uh, new customer. And the thing is, when you think of the available market of people that go into convenience stores, go into mass retail that have never tried it before, it's huge. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, the one other point that I want to make on the slide before we move on is obviously e-com. I think anyone who works in this space knows that, that the effect that COVID has had on e-com sales and, you know, the one thing I would say here is that if, if you are, uh, if you are a brand and you do not have a solid e-com or DTC sales strategy, stop wasting time, get on that right now. Yeah. Because and you see a lot of retailers are starting to ramp up their buy online, pick up in a store, or, yep. you know, but they got a lot of room to, to grow in that. There's a, yeah. There's a lot of opportunity. And I think that, you know, like post pandemic, we are going to see, you know, more consumers go back to store buying, but mm -hmm. I don't think we're ever going to see it quite the same way we no. did. And, and I think that e-com and, uh, and curbside pickup and things like that are, are here to stay in a much more impactful way than it, than they ever have been. They got spoiled. They got spoiled. They like That's the right. ease of use. Hey, speaking of COVID, check this out. <laughs> You have a branded mask. I love it. I have my ECRM range me mask. <laughs> That's great, Joe. Actually, my yeah, my dad made it for me. I didn't didn't even know he could sew. He was a sheet metal worker his whole life. Oh my god, that's amazing! And he made it. For, he made it for me. It's the only. It's it's um one of one. <laughs> that's it. <There's, laughs> it's a limited, very limited edition. Okay, well, you got to guard that like gold, right? Yeah, so everybody's yeah. been asked. Everybody wants one. So yeah. he won't do any more. Too much okay. work. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, so just a couple other points here on, on the effect of COVID. And, and I think the permanent shift that we're going to see as a result of this. So our friends at the Hartman Group, they put together this really great graphic to demonstrate the cultural paradigm shifts that can be triggered by national or global catastrophes which is, you know, really what we're in right now. And, and I know that in March or April, as analysts began to speculate how the pandemic might actually affect consumer behavior, my mind went straight to my experience as a natural products retailer in 2008. And while today's shoppers are facing similar economic constraints as, as the recession, they're demonstrating a unique prioritization of community and purchases that create benefit for the collective. And I think that's, you know, part of the shift that we've seen and what has happened. And that's not just because of COVID. I think that's, that plays into, you know, our political world, our social justice world, our equity world and what's happening. And so more and more consumers are, are prioritizing that. Mm -hmm. In a recent survey conducted by New Hope, 75% of shoppers surveyed said that their personal health has become more important to them in 2020, while 66% said environmental or planetary health has taken on more importance. And 74% said that social equity and justice are more important to them now than they once were. So we're seeing a huge, a huge move here. And, and again, I don't think that this is going to go away. Wow. But yeah, it's that uh, halo effect. One That's is right. expanding into the other and the other. And That's right. I've definitely seen that. That's right. And the one other thing I want to touch on around COVID and kind of the effect that it has, it's really forced brands to think 
about how they market themselves, how they go, how they go to market, how they tell their story and really building up their own online and DTC presence. And it's forced them to, to think about connecting with consumers in a, in a, in a different way when most of their traditional vehicles have been taken away from them, right? Like the, the promo strategies have changed at most retailers. The category views have slowed or kind of gone off cycle. They can't demo. So they've had to really look at, okay, now how else can I activate these sales and how can I engage? What do we do when we can't demo? And so brands who have really pivoted to virtual storytelling and put an emphasis on that story emerged here as winners over this last year, despite the pandemic. And this goes for both established and emerging brands. Like we really saw that. And standing out in a virtual space is tough, right? I mean, you know, you're putting out content all the time. You're building a huge following, but like to really gain traction there, it, you have to put out a lot of content yeah. and you've got to be very clear in like how you show up in that space. Yep, definitely. I mean, the people who are doing, who are very active digitally before this all happened really benefited because they were in the game already. Yep. Uh, and yeah, it's that consistency, that messaging and uh, being relevant to the particular platforms. And, you know, you really need to catch them before they're even going into the store now uh, to get that awareness. For sure, for sure. And so there's brands, some brands that have done this really well. I think the brands that really like went heavy on Instagram and doing Instagram stories and live cooking classes, they did really well. Uh, brands that launched their own podcast, uh, Midday Squares is a new brand to the US. They're a Canadian brand. I think you're going to see a lot from them. And if you're not following them on social platforms, go do it right away. Uh, I love them. Um, and YouTube, TikTok, like a DTC sampling program, all these things has sort of emerged as a way for brands to get in front of their consumers and to really build their own awareness. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just kind of like a couple final thoughts, Joe. And, and what I want people to understand is that no matter what the trend, no matter, no matter all the different things that we talked about today, there's only one like must have key to success. Do you know what it is? I'm on the edge of my seat waiting. It's you. It's you, right? It's your passion. It's your vision for your brand. It's your gifts. It's your unique way of expressing your message. It's your vision. It's the urgency you have, your clarity, your determination. Like that has to be at the center of all of it. And when we work with our emerging brands, especially, we do a lot of coaching around putting yourself at the center of your brand. And that goes back to that storytelling and really connecting with your community and being clear on, on where you're going. So that's one piece of it. And then once you get like real clear on who you are and 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 what you bring to the table and why you're doing what you're doing, then it's then it's the looking at the vision and what impact do you want to have? I think especially with all the competitors that are out there, all the different brands that are out there, you've got to be very clear on, on where you're going, why you're doing it, what impact do you want to have in the world? And it doesn't have to be some big, huge national brand kind of vision, right? You can have whatever your vision is, is right for you, but really get clear on that and know what it is. Natural products are, are, are for me, like that is my vision. Natural products on grocery store shelves across the U.S., like, available to everyone, everyone having access to that. I got into this in 
industry because of my own health challenges. And that brought me into natural foods. And so I'm very passionate and dedicated about furthering the reach of this industry and not having poison marketed as food on our grocery store shelves. That's what drives me. And so get clear on, on what your vision is. And then what problem are you solving? So you have to keep your audience, your consumers, your customers, your retailers, like you, they have to be front of mind for you. And, and if you're not solving a problem or speaking to the problem in a new way that connects differently with consumers or with your buyers, that's really what you need to do. So even if you're launching a product that, that has been launched, you know, hundreds of times before, if you're really speaking to it and addressing it in a new way and meeting that consumer in a new way, like that can be it. It doesn't have to be something that's totally innovative and never done before, but you have to speak to that problem in a new way and really meet that consumer where they're at. This is so important, especially for uh, brands who are doing the uh, virtual meetings uh, at our programs. You know, when they're speaking to the buyer, that's one, you need to show how you're different. Not just how you can't say, don't say we're the best or we're the <laughs> first at this because everybody else is saying that. Speaking of, uh, we were talking about CBD before, like when right. CBD first, uh, when we did our first CBD program two years ago, or maybe more than that, you'll have a lot of people, eventually a buyer was telling me, everyone's telling me they're the first at this or they're the best at this. And how do yeah. we know? Now they've come a long way. They know how to vet these suppliers. But, you know, you can't say you're the best or the first. Just talk about how you're different. What issue are you solving for your consumer? Yes. But also, how are you going to benefit the buyer? Because the buyer ultimately wants to know how are you going to help them grow their category? How are you going to help them grow their business? That's what they care about. So it's got to be included in there uh, in that whole story. A hundred percent, Joe. And it's one of the things that drives me little crazy when I hear brands because I have been a national buyer and have been pitched, you know, in that way. And it's like you as the brand had there's an onus, there's a responsibility on you to understand that if I'm going to put your product in, I have to take something else out, right? Mm -hmm. There's only so much space. And that takes effort to do that. So if I'm going to do that, you have to bring something. You have to help grow the category. You've got to bring something new and unique. You have to be able to reach my, you know, my shoppers in a certain way, right? So you're absolutely right. And a great product is just the start. It's just the start. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, you got to have that. For sure, you got to have a great product. But man, there's so much more mm -hmm. to think about. And that is kind of, for me, like the last point is like, you know, you, you put you at the center of your brand, you get clear on you and your vision and who you're helping, how you're helping them, what problem you're solving. And then you build the tactical plan around that. Then you put in all the other pieces that you need to really have a successful company. But this isn't, and I think the, the, the thing that most brands start with is they start with this and that's not where you start. Mm -hmm. You start with those other pieces first and then you build the plan around that. Excellent. Great. So, and then the last thing I'll say, I love this quote. Yeah, but it's just another way of saying success is possible, but I'll never know. And I hear this, you know, from brands all the time. Yeah, but this or yeah, but COVID or yeah, but I can't demo or yeah, blah, blah, blah. There's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be ways that we can say, yeah, I, you know, but I can't, but this, but this, but the money, but blah, blah, right? If you want it and you're clear and that vision drives you, like there's ways to make that happen. You could always, always find a way. There's a, a phrase from, there's a Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. He wrote the book, Extreme Ownership. And he has a phrase called, just good. So in other words, something bad happens. It's like, good, I could do this. Good, I, you know, uh, let's say 
oh well you're you're uh um you got stood up for dinner or whatever good i could go for a jog or good i could yeah. use this time for something else it's just always that positive side of any situation and just focus on that yeah great cool. so wait so um, how can any, everybody get in touch with you if they'd like to, uh, follow up with you or, or pick your brain or use your services? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for asking that. So there's a lot of different ways to reach us. My email is just Kate at katelabrosse.com. So that's the easiest way to get in touch with me directly. Um, and then you can always follow us on social platforms. These are either on my personal pages or on our Kate Labrosse consulting pages. There's a lot of uh, free content and a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, all the webinars, free webinars that we're doing. So there's a ton of content there on those that you can always go and engage with us there. Excellent. And you'll be seeing her more and more at uh, our ECRM programs, uh, moderating roundtables. So, and I look forward to seeing you there, but thank you so much. This was great information. It was a lot of fun too. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it.